In the haven of rest, I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep. In Jesus, I am safe evermore. I yielded myself to his tender embrace and faith taking hold of the word. My fetters fell off and I anchored my soul. The heaven of rest is my Lord. The song of my soul since the Lord made me whole has been the old story so blessed of Jesus who will save whosoever will have a home in the heaven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the heaven of rest. I'll sail the wide sea. Amen. It, uh, you're just glad it wasn't you up there that had missed a spot. I, I've done it, Brother Rob. I've done it. I did it one time. Now, for some of you, this won't mean anything, but Brother Case, this will mean something to you. I was singing the 90 and 9. Great song. Great song. I was singing it at Emmanuel Baptist Church, and Mrs. Joyce Malone was right down there looking right at me, and I was trying to be a blessing, and I lost my spot. I just I had to look at Miss Malone and say, Miss Malone, I'm so sorry. Church, I'm sorry. I'm going to start again. And they all said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Have you ever pondered what your life would be like absent of a particular choice? Difficult, isn't it? Because if you pull on one thread, the whole tapestry unravels, doesn't it? Think about it. Our lives are made up of choices that we make. And despite what our uh, friends of reform doctrine would say that have us to believe. The scriptures teach that man is a free moral agent and given the privilege and power of a choice. Jesus said to the Pharisees when uh, they were criticizing him, he said, ye will not come unto me that you might have life. He didn't say you could not come to me. He said you choose not to. Choices have consequences. And just as sure as when you throw a rock into the water, you will have waves and ripples, no matter what kind of choices you make, there will be consequences, positive or negative. Consider the choices that led up to your education. Where and why and what caused you to pursue that education. Consider the choices that led you to your uh, uh, occupation. 
getting into that field and the choices that were made that you ended up working for 40 years at this company or that company. Think about uh, the choices that led up to connections with you uh, being married and having children. Think about the choices that led up to your salvation. Think about that. I think about, I was going down and shaking hands and talking, and of course, talked to Sean. Sean got saved last week. Amen. You know, one of the choices that made that up, Sean, same for me 22 years ago, was I chose to go to church. I made that choice, amen. I, when, when the gospel was presented, I chose. I chose. Now again, I know we've got, there's a whole sect of Christian theologies that think we don't have a choice. And I'm telling you what, I wanted to be saved, I asked to be saved, and I got saved. And so did you. Amen. So our education, our occupation, our connection, our salvation, think about the choices in your location. Where you, how you ended up in Jackson. It's amazing. It was all a series of choices that we made that brought us to that. However, can we say this? Not all choices lead to happy endings, do they? Some choices lead to death. Amen? Some choices lead to divorce. Some choices lead to degradation and, and difficulty. And life is full of little choices that have big ramifications. God encourages us to make good choices. He says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, and many of us Christians know this verse, particularly on the issue of abortion. God says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Amen that thou and thy seed may live. Uh, Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, and if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, uh, uh, choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua said. Many times the devil burdens us so heavily with temptation that we believe there is no other choice but to succumb to the temptation and to give in. Can I say this? First of all, all the devil does is lie. And second of all, see number one. That's false. That's false. Jesus Christ was tempted and yet without sin. If you've been born again, and I'm going to talk about this tonight, and I hope that you will come back tonight, I have one of the most helpful messages. I said literally, if you will take notes on this message tonight, it will help you in your entire Christian life, whether you're old or young. But the Bible says this, uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom after you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So you, you trusted Christ as your Savior. You became a new creature. Uh, you got a new nature. And it doesn't mean you'll never sin. But it means you have the power now through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit to resist temptation you have two natures now you got saved forgive me you're a spiritual schizophrenic <laughs> say what do you mean by that pastor well you got this old flesh that still wants to do what it wants to do the flesh wants to smoke drink cuss do all that the flesh all wants to do all that 
but the, you also have the Spirit. And the, the, the Spirit and the flesh, the Bible says, are contrary one to another. They're always at war. So the Apostle Paul said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen? And so, but then the Bible says in it's such a great verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Let me just read it. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We have the choice. And listen, I wish I could say I've never chosen to sin, but Brother Hurth, I have. I know I have. Uh, by the way, you with the halos on, you have too. Hmm? Got some visitors from heaven today. Oh, I've, I've never sinned one time. You just did. It's called pride. Amen. Amen. The story before us in Hebrews chapter 12 is a recounting of an Old Testament story. And it is truly one of the saddest in the Bible. If you look at verse number 16 again with me, church, <clears throat> it says there, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. A young man in our church died, our pastor's son in our home church in I didn't go to the grave very often. I just had a hard time with that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just Some people go to the grave a lot. It's a place where uh, they, they, they feel closure and closeness. And, uh, but for me, it was just a place of loss and grief. And when, Whenever a child dies, it's very unnatural. Very unnatural. Uh, my, my grandmother, my, my mother's mother, when uh, she, they, we buried uh, my uncle, my mom's oldest brother, uh, who had Agent Orange, and we had the funeral at Arlington. I remember my grandmother saying, no parent should have to bury a child. Right. Just remember when she said that, and, and I know many have said that, but I used to go to the cemetery, and I would, I would look at the tombstones, and you would see the dates and all that, and there was some wonderful Christian tombstones. There were some verses that you would see. I remember one, it was almost like a, uh, I don't know what you call like the sideways one. It's almost like a small mausoleum, basically, like the coffin would fit in. And it said, across it said, until the daybreak. I said, oh, man, there's some preaching there. There's some other ones that said Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them. Uh, my pastor's son has, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. Great is thy faithfulness. How'd you like to have this written on your tombstone. Fornicator. Profane person. For one morsel of meat sold his birthright. This is Esau's tombstone right here. It's the last thing spoken about Esau. It says that that's who he was. Today I'd like to, with the Lord's help, examine some characters in the Bible who bit on Satan's temporal temptations and the eternal ramifications and some practical exhortations for us today. And the title of my message is right out of the text here. One morsel of meat. One morsel of meat. And that is this. Esau saw the temporal 
above the eternal. Amen, church? We understand that? He saw the temporal above the eternal. I'd like to move a little bit in our Bibles today, and if you're not familiar with your Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, and look at the first character that who for one morsel of meat gave up the eternal for the temporal. <clears throat> our first point today is about Lot. And Lot focused on a meditation of property, number one, a meditation of property. Here's Lot in Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 10. And, and the background of the story, I, I know many of you know it, but many of you may not. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And Abraham was uh, the, the mightiest of the men at the time and been called of God. And he, he took his nephew Lot with him. And God blessed them in such a way that their, their flocks and their herds were so many that they could not dwell together. They were just always in each other's way and their herdsmen were beginning to strive and, and Abraham said, look, uh, we, that, doesn't, that doesn't bode well on us. We're the children of God and we can't have that. And so he says to Lot, he said, you, you go one way and I'll go the other. And the Bible says there in verse 10 of chapter 13 of Genesis, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah even as the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt as thou comest to Zoar then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves from the other. Could we say this about Lot? Lot forsook principles for property. And he's not the last to do so. Hmm? Everybody with me this morning? What? He, he looked out and he saw the well-watered plains and said, this will be a wonderful place to raise crops and cattle. But just two verses down from where we read, church, what does it say? But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners exceedingly. May have been a good place to raise cattle. Certainly wasn't a good place to raise children or a family. And I'm not saying God can't bless in a difficult environment. I'm saying that Lot looked out and saw all the good things about the property when he should have said, look, Uncle Abraham, you've been so good to me. you blessed me. I'm blessed because of you. You go Whichever way you go, I'll go the other way. You make the choice. You're the one with the wisdom. He forsook principles for property. Oh, many a carnal Christian has left a church and moved because of a job without ever investigating whether there would be a good, solid Bible-preaching church in that area that they're moving to. And they raise their fists to God when their children go to the devil. I can tell you why they went to the devil, sir. You thought about property more than principle. Lot. May I say, that's a poor choice. How do you know, Pastor? Just look at the life of Lot. All it did was go down from here. This is the best that we find in Lot. 
Read Genesis chapter 19 and how he, he loses his entire family and he ends up drunk in a cave with his daughters and commits incest with his daughters. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that's a good way to end, do you? The meditation of property. For the Christian, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, for Christian, our principles that we get out of this book, the principles that we hold dear, ought not to be bargained for like some old toy on eBay. Amen? Lot. A meditation of property. You're still in Genesis. Go to chapter 25. And this is our, our story of our text about Esau. Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to begin reading in verse 29. If you're not there, just catch up when you get there. It says, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came in from the field, and <clears throat> he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. You know, when you and I read that, uh, those of us uh, maybe that don't have a knowledge of how important the birthright was, we just kind of pass by it. Oh, just sell me your birthright. Okay. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do unto me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold him his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave to Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and did eat and drink and rose up and went his way, and Esau despised his birthright. This is the, the one morsel of meat story right here. Esau forsook his birthright for a bowl of beans. Literally, lentils. Okay? He forsook his birthright. Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. Remember the story? It's a great story how Isaac and Rebekah uh, couldn't have children, and Isaac entreated the Lord, and, and then she had twins in her womb, and Esau came out, and he was all hairy like a red garment, the Bible says. By the way, it's just my weird mind. I always think of that monster from the Looney Tunes that's all red and just eyes and you know all hair. Every time I think of Esau, that's what I think of. He's a hairy garment. And remember, he had Jacob had a hold of his heel, amen, and they said, this is Esau and this is Jacob, and they were different. By the way, twins, many times, the most different people you'll ever know. Just, just the way it is, amen? And so Esau was a man of the outdoors, and, and, and we would say kind of a man's man and a hunter, and, and Jacob was uh, a bit of a mama's boy, and, and uh, the problem was that uh, I, I think that if you read the scriptures that that was fueled, that dad loved to be around with Esau and mom loved to be around with Jacob. Hey, hey listen, I love all my kids equally. Amen. Doesn't matter whether one likes this or that. And, and, uh, so, but he, he, uh, he was the firstborn child, Esau was. And because he was the firstborn child, that was very important in Bible days. Very important. He had four great responsibilities and privileges with the birthright. It meant that you got a double portion of the father's inheritance. So let's say there was three children, ladies and gentlemen, and the father had $100,000 of inheritance. If you were the firstborn and had the birthright, that meant you got $50,000, and the other two got $25,000. Okay? Now, most times it was property, but also goods and, and flocks and whatnot, so it, it would be a double portion. You would also be the, he, the spiritual head of a family or tribe. 
You would provide for the family and tribe financially. And listen, we know this, those of you that know your Bible, you would literally be in the line of the Messiah. We talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? But really, it should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He was the firstborn. Now God knew. Amen. But he came in from hunting one day, and his brother Jacob was cooking this pot of beans, and, and Esau told Jacob that he was about to die, and he wanted some of this, his beans. How many of you have ever said, I'm starving? You're like, I'm saying it right now, Pastor. Hurry up and get done. Amen. <laughs> Listen, my son Eric comes in, and he says, I'm starving. And I look at his belly... And meanwhile, I say, no, you're not. <laughs> now, if Luke said that to me, I may consider it as an actual fact, amen, because that boy doesn't have any meat on his bones. We've said that, and what we mean is we're hungry, right? Hungry. I don't think Brother Tom Esau was going to starve to death. I don't think he was. I think he was hungry. And by the way, it's amazing how good things smell and look when you're hungry. You know, that's why... Uh, fellas, don't go to the grocery store hungry. Because you'll come back with canned cans. Amen? Oh, it just it looked good. I was so hungry. I, uh, no, don't do that. Amen? Don't do, it's amazing. You walk into the house hungry and say, my goodness, that smells fantastic. What is that? Kraft mac and cheese. Oh, okay. Well, it's not that good. Amen? I'm just really hungry. I, when I was coming back from the Philippines, we, we stopped in Tokyo, and at that time, I was still pretty sick, but I was hungry, and uh, I'm looking around, and I'm seeing all this Japanese stuff, and I don't know what that says, and it could be uh, fish head soup for all I know, you know, I'm, I'm looking around, and I see a McDonald's, and all the Americans are lined up at McDonald's, and I said, boy, you know you're hungry, and you've been away from the States a long time when McDonald's looks good, amen? And so here's Esau, and he says, look, I'm dying over here, I'm starving, and Jacob, which... He gets his name, deceiver, hmm? supplanter. Says, oh, you can have some for your birthright. Ladies and gentlemen, that is more than just you and I talking about a, a, a piece of paper, a birthright. But that's really what it became to Esau. It means so much more. And Esau said, ah, you can have it. And you know, when you think about Esau, and you think about this, this text, you think about, I think about how Esau did not care for spiritual things. And I wish, I wish I could make this point to you young people. Make sure spiritual things are important. Seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Uh, how many of you could say amen to that verse? Amen. That, that God's been good to you through the years. And, and when you put self first, you always lose. But when you put the Savior first, you always win. 
So Esau, he didn't care about spiritual things. He, he was a man of the world, Genesis 25, 27 tells us. He married worldly women. He, he married uh, the daughters of Canaan. And, and uh, uh, Brother Merrill likes to, of course, remind Miss Judy that her name is Judith. And that's the only time Judith is mentioned in the Bible was Esau's wife. I'm sorry, Miss Judy. Amen. Brother Merrill always tells me that. Judith. He was a man of the world. He married worldly women. His descendants, the descendants of Esau, became the Edomites. Uh, then we, we would call them the Idumenians. And you know, they were involved in the murder of the babes in Bethlehem when Herod was looking for Jesus. They were involved in the murder of the Baptist. Herod was an Idumenian, an Edomite. John the Baptist died. And the blessed James, remember, James preached and Herod ran him through with a sword. God called Esau profane because he loved the things of the world more than the things of God. You know, in our text in Hebrews, he knew he made a tragic mistake. There was nothing he could do about it. Isn't that sad, ladies and gentlemen? When you, listen, when you know, when you know you've made a big mistake, and you'd love to change it, but you can't. you got to live with it. Come on, church, help me. Yeah. Amen. A meditation of property. Esau, <clears throat> a mess of pottage. Amen. Then if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and I don't have time to get into this entire text like I would like to. 2 Samuel. Lot, a meditation of property. Esau, a mess of pottage. David, a moment of passion. A moment of passion. And if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, <clears throat> verses 1 uh, through 4, and I'm just going to read it quickly. It says, And it came to pass after the, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So listen to me. David was the king. Amen. This was a time when kings went forth to battle. Amen. Where should David have been? In battle with his men. Can I say this, young people? Many times, being in the right place, doing the right thing, will keep you from making the wrong choice. Let me say that again. Many times, being in the right place, doing the right things, will keep you from making the wrong choice. And then verse 2, it says, And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, <clears throat> the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified for her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Can we say that David forsook the blessing for the bedroom? Amen? He took another man's wife, 
And it's amazing because we see David and we see uh, in the scriptures, in the country, David's character being molded by God. And in the camp, uh, David's courage being manifested uh, by God. And in the court, uh, his uh, conduct being marked by God. And in the cave, his convictions being matured by God. But here he is walking on the rooftop when he should have been in battle with his men and staring when he should have stopped looking and commanding her to be brought. He knew he was another man's wife and he committed sexual sin. This is the sin of the flesh of our day. It's adultery. It's fornication. And it's wrong. 2 Timothy 3.4 tells us about that sin says so much about it. We live in such a sensual day, ladies and gentlemen. Pornography is everywhere. You almost can't take your kids grocery shopping with you anymore because when you get to the checkout, you have to say eyes forward. Amen? It's amazing. Just amazing. And here's David. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, please... I don't care what the world says or thinks about it, and I don't care what Hollywood says, and I don't care what the TV doctors say, and I certainly don't care what the government says or the military says or anyone says. I care what God says, and God's the one that said, marriage is honorable in all, in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Proverbs 5.15 tells us, drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. It's talking about the marriage relationship and in particular the physical relationship of marriage. God tells us that fornication is still sin. Whether you think it is or not, living like you're married doesn't make you married. Amen. Boy, that's good preaching, Pastor. I wish more people would preach like that today, Pastor. Amen. Listen. It's just, it's wrong, and it's knowing what the Bible says. The Bible talks about fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, and David gave in to temptation. How many young men and young women have sacrificed every bit of virtue that their parents instilled in them for the promise of love? Forgive me, in the back seat of an automobile. He thought he could just please his flesh a little and it would be okay. The trouble with sin is the devil makes it look so good. The devil only shows you the bait. But rest assured, friend, we have some fishermen in the room. Behind every piece of juicy bait, there's a razor-sharp hook with a barb on it. And the devil's barb cuts. What happened to David? Well, because he gave in to this desire... He would have to murder Uriah, one of his best men, to cover it up. There was a baby that was born that would die. His son Ammon, Amnon would rape his uh, uh, half-sister Tamar. His daughter Tamar would never be normal. His son Absalom got so infuriated at that that he murdered his stepbrother Amnon all because of a moment of passion. One morsel of meat. Meditation of property, a mess of pottage, a moment of passion. Would you go to the New Testament with me? Matthew 27. <clears throat> a margin of profit. A meditation of property, a mess of pottage, a moment of passion, a margin of profit. Certainly one of the saddest stories in the Bible is the story of Judas Iscariot. Verse 3, 
It says, chapter 27 of Matthew, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Have you ever considered what Judas saw? Listen, when crowds came to Jesus to be healed, Judas was right there. He saw it. Have you ever considered what Judas experienced? Judas experienced the, the feeding of the 5,000, Pastor Mark. He was one of the 12. He went to Jesus, got the bread and fishes, and distributed it, and came back, and he experienced that. Have you ever considered what Jesus did? You know what Jesus said to the 12? He said, I give you power to cast out devils, to raise the dead. Now, I don't know if the disciples ever raised the dead. The Bible doesn't say, but I know this. Jesus gave them the power to do it. Have you ever considered that and then considered that Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed the Lord? You know, Judas was called by the Savior. Uh, just to think about Judas Iscariot. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we see here not only Lot, a meditation of property and a mess of pottage for Esau and a moment of passion for David, but a margin of profit for Judas. Can I say this, ladies and gentlemen? I think you say amen. Many people have betrayed the Savior for far less than 30 pieces of silver. Think about that. And by the way, lest we throw Judas aside, what's your price for betraying the Savior? It's, I'm telling you what, it's a convicting thing to think about. Would I betray him for this and that? And I always think about the temptation of Christ when Satan said, set all the kingdoms of the world in front of him. And what did he say? It is written. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. A margin of profit. Can I say this about money? Money is a wonderful servant and a terrible master. Hmm? The love of money is the root of all evil. People say, I, I, I would do better with my money if I had more money. No, you won't. That's why God's not giving it to you. Amen? Be faithful with what you have. Amen? And I believe the reason that God does not bless many of us with riches is he knows that we would betray him in an instant if we had riches. Money is a means to an end. Either you use it to glorify God and be a blessing to others, or the devil will use it to bind and blind you to what true riches are. A meditation of property. Lot forsook principles for property. A mess of pottage. Esau forsook his birthright for a bowl of beans. A moment of passion, David forsook the blessing for the bedroom. A margin of profit, Judas forsook the Savior for silver. Number five this morning, a multitude of possessions. Mark chapter 10, verse 22, we learn of a man called the rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus and he said, Master, what good thing may I do that I might have eternal life? And, and he told him, he said, uh, you, you're, you're, and he knew why he was asking. 
He knew that his possessions and his money were his God. And he, he told him, go sell all that thou hast and give it to the poor and you'll have great treasure in heaven and take up thy cross and follow me. And the Bible said he was sad at that saying because he had great possessions. But what do you see in the rich young ruler, pastor? I see a multitude of possessions. A multitude of possessions. Can I say this? God is not against you having money. God is not against you having nice things. God is not against you having clothes or a beautiful home or anything like that. Matter of fact, God said in Deuteronomy 8.18, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth power to get wealth. But people get caught up in the rat race, don't they, church? If we're not careful, we can get caught up in that race and just get more concerned about uh, that margin of profit and that multitude of possessions uh, and having this and buying that than we are about Jesus Christ. And the next thing you know, you're working 80 hours a week to pay for that second home or that boat, and very soon you're on that boat on Sunday morning instead of being with the people of God. Listen, it's not a multitude of possessions. He that dies with the most toys still dies. Amen? You ever seen that? He, he that dies with the most toys wins. You didn't win. You died. I'm still living. I beat you. Amen. No. Listen, a multitude of possessions. He forsook the peace of God for possession. Let me give you some quick applications. It's right on time, 12 o'clock. Ten quick applications how to keep you from making disastrous choices. And this literally, this goes right to tonight's message. Number one, put God first. Put God first when you make choices. Listen to me. Would God have you to commit adultery? No. no. Would God have you to forsake him for 30 pieces of silver? Would God have you to give up spiritual things for carnal things? No. No. We, what happens is the devil takes over in temptation. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God first. Uh, can I say something else? Read and heed the word of God. Be a man or a woman of the Bible. Do you know the Bible makes a lot of my choices so I don't have to make them? Do you know that? The Bi Listen, the Bible tells me things about destructive behavior. The Bible tells me things. Uh, read Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7, Proverbs 9, uh, young men, about the right kind of woman and the wrong kind of woman. Help me, church. Amen. The Bible lays these things out. Read and heed the Word of God. How about this? Know that you can make right choices. Well, I'm, I just always make the wrong choice. You don't have to. If you're saved, you can make the right choice. Amen. You can. Know that you can make the right How about this? Seek godly counsel from authority during the decision-making process. During the decision-making process. Brother Horsch, many times, people come into my office, and they ask for my counsel, but they didn't. They already made the decision. And they wanted me to rubber stamp the decision that they've already made. And I never do that. My dear friend, Brother R.V. Ouellette, had somebody come to his church, and, and uh, there was a young couple, and they were uh, seeing each other, and I think uh, they were both 17, and, and again, I'm, if you got married at 17, that's fine, but they came to Brother Ouellette, and, and uh, they said, do you think it's all right for young people to get married when they're 17? And Brother Ouellette said, I really don't. I think it's a little young, and you know, you've got a couple more years, and, and boy, they got all offended at that. And then he said, well, do you think it's okay for young people to get married at 17 if they really love each other. 
And Brother Willette said, well, I didn't figure you hated each other. <laughs> figured you probably liked each other. Well, I think we all know what happened. It was a shotgun wedding type situation. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, seek godly counsel during the decision-making process. I appreciate young people that will come to me and say, Pastor, here's this boy in my life or here's this girl in my life. What do you think of them? Now, I'm not the final authority, but sometimes God gives me insight. By the way, I hope you go to your parents first of all and ask them what they think. They're the godly authority in your life. But seek counsel and advice from godly authorities during the decision-making process. Uh, number five, be careful of, and if necessary, part with ungodly friends. That's adults, too. You know why adults get out of church? Many times you get ungodly advice going in your ear about what's going on. Number six, listen to and learn from those who have made poor decisions. I know some of you are thinking right now, I've made poor decisions. What could I possibly do? Listen to me. God can use you to help someone else. We all have a part. We all have a part. I think about how I've given my testimony before and and. And people have, have said, oh, I wish I had your testimony. The truth is, Pastor Mark, I wish I had your testimony. But because I do have the testimony I have and got saved later in life and, and, and uh, almost wrecked my life with sin, I can help other people not to wreck their life with sin. How about this? Stay away from doubtful and tempting situations. Amen? That, that one sounds so easy. But the devil makes it so hard. Listen to me, please. I'm, I'm not being unkind, but no Christian has any business in a bar. Amen. No, that, that is so beyond doubtful and tempting. That, I remember getting saved early on and having you know, just the, the spiritual foresight and, and help from people to say, look, I, I was the kind of person that was not a, a, a slobbering drunk, but I was the kind of person, brother, brother Bill Merrill, that just kept a few beers in the fridge. But I learned if I was going to be the Christian that God wanted me, I couldn't have beer in my fridge. I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do I read too much about what the Bible said about strong drink. And, and listen, it's not from God. And so I said, I'm not going to tempt myself by having it in the refrigerator. Listen, if the TV's a temptation for you, forgive me. This, uh, you know, 20, 21st century blasphemy, then don't have one. If it's just always bothering you, I'll come over with scissors and cut the cable. Just to help you. Just to be a blessing. Now, if you still want to pay the 140 or whatever, I don't know how many dollars it is, amen. But stay away from doubtful and tempting situations. Here's one. Boy, I'll tell you what, this one. Do not rationalize. When you rationalize, you can convince yourself that you are entitled to anything and everything. Well, I deserve this because you're rationalizing. What did God say about it? Hmm? Amen? Don't rationalize. Number nine, don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporal. That means, listen... Don't give up something that's eternal for something that's just going to pass away. Don't do that. Last, consider the ripples of a bad decision. Consider the ripples. 
We have many moms and dads in this room, many grandmas and grandpas. Decisions ripple, don't they? Decisions and consequences of decisions don't end with us. They go on. Our children, our grandchildren, the people around us. Didn't Achan think he could sin and get by? Didn't he? God said, look, uh, Jericho's mine. Don't take any of the spoil. Don't take any of the gold. Don't take anything. And he called it the accursed thing. And I've said for years, Brother Case, it's amazing. They conquered ten cities, and the first one belonged to God. And if you take what belongs to God, accursed. Everybody hearing me? What Brother Raider talked about, the tith? <laughs> the tith? What's all this tithing? Some people take what's God's, and they carry a curse with them. And so he, what happened was Achan took that well wedge of gold and that goodly Babylonian garment and he, he hid them in his tent. And he thought he could sin and get by and it wouldn't ripple out. But what happened? He lost his life. His wife lost his life. His children lost his life. All his livestock lost his life. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, consider the ripples of a bad decision. One morsel of meat. One morsel of meat. Let me close with this. Maybe you've made some bad decisions in your life. Listen to me. Listen to me. God loves you. God loves you. He hasn't stopped loving you because he attached consequences to your decisions. Matter of fact, proof of his love. Who is, who, is, who is the child that the father chasteneth not? Hmm? My children, I'm, I'm so blessed to be their dad. and they, uh, I, I feel like at this stage of their life, they're good kids. But you know what? They need a daddy who's going to still tell them where the lines are right. and what happens when yeah. you cross the line. This, our sweetest little one, Katia, God bless her. God bless me. Amen. <laughs> Last night, we're all just sitting up having popcorn, and mom told Katia to go to your room, Katia. She just had a bad little attitude, and she said, No. And I was in the room. And me, Ma, it didn't go well for Katia. We had a timeout. And for some of you, a timeout means one thing, and for our family, it means something else. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I said, when people are in Walmart and we say we give our kids timeouts, we look at them and say, you want a timeout? And the kids go. <laughs> and the people in Walmart say, oh, that's so nice. You give your kids timeouts. And we go. <laughs> sure it is. And we gave Cotty a timeout. Why? Because we hate her. Because I love her with all my heart. And I don't ever want her to say no to her mom that loves her and gave birth to her, to her daddy that loves her beyond words, and to a God that gave himself Amen. for her. One morsel of meat, folks. 
you're here today and you say, I've messed up, good news. God's in the reclamation business. Remember the story, and i got to end here, the story in Jeremiah chapter 18, it talked about the potter and the clay. And if you've ever seen that, it's so neat to, to really actually watch that, how skilled those people are. And you, you put the clay and you put the water on there and, and you get that, that wheel turning. And, and a lot of times they would, they would have a spinner. They would just, with their foot, spin the wheel. And they get to, and the Bible says in that story in Jeremiah chapter 18, you ought to read it. If you, if you today think, boy, God could never use me, you ought to read that story in Jeremiah chapter 18. It says he wrought on the wor work on the wheels, and the vessel in his hands was marred. So he made it again. So he, he took that vessel that was marred, and he, right with that same vessel, he didn't, he didn't I love the song, I bless the day, he didn't throw the clay away. Amen. He didn't take that clay and throw it away. He stopped, regathered, reformed, and started over. You say, I'm 40 years old. Can God start over with me? He sure can. Uh, oh, I've sinned. I've committed some of these sins that you were talking about, Pastor. Can God ever use me? Hey, let me tell you about that man, David. A moment of passion. The ripples went at the end of his life. You know what God said about him? He said he was a man after God's own heart. Moses murdered a man, buried him in the sand. God used him. God can use you today. Maybe you're here today and you've never made the ultimate decision. And that is where you'll spend eternity. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior... I want to tell you this, that is the most important decision you will ever make. And it's the decision that determines your eternal destiny in heaven or in hell. And it's such an easy decision. These for one morsel of meat. Lot, a meditation of property. Esau, a mess of pottage. David, a moment of passion. Judas, a margin of profit. And the rich young ruler, a multitude of possessions, they forsook the eternal for the temporal. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes.